Super excited that you're here today. Welcome to a place we call Journey, and we put the church in it because we're a church that seeks first the kingdom of God, and we're grateful that you're here. If you're new here today, a special welcome to you. If you're watching, we now have a live broadcast that Jeff Foss and the team have put on, so the internet's going live right now, and we're excited about that as well. So welcome if you're watching online. You know, God is doing a work in us today, and we want to present that to you all. We want to present the best that we can so that God can move. And as I was sitting here praying about what God wanted to speak to us today as a congregation, I got this thing on my, on my phone. You know, our phones are so amazing. I got this, this thing that pushed about the news of a church in Egypt, two churches that got bombed today. And I thought about what would it look like in our society where churches that lost 43 people this morning that came to worship Jesus would die. The beauty of our community and our society is we don't have that normally. But other people deal in persecution and struggle just to have church on Sunday. We're super grateful, and we should celebrate God for that, and we should thank Almighty Jesus for our beautiful country. Even if it's not the way that we want it, it's better than what we have. Amen? So I'm excited because today is Palm Sunday, probably my favorite Sunday of the year. Yeah, Easter's good, but it's a lot of work. Palm Sunday is a little less, and I'm one of those guys that likes the lesser role of work. Palm Sunday is a Sunday where we celebrate Jesus for who he truly was. At one point in the world, at one point in society, we look at Jesus and we celebrate him correctly. There's a moment where there's this triumphant entry, and all of a sudden, all the world lifts up Jesus as an excellent Lord and Savior. They bring excellence to him. And our Palm Sunday, we get to do that as well. We get to bring excellence to our Father in heaven. And that's what we're about here on Palm Sunday. We want to make sure that our heart and our, our soul and our mindset is poured into Easter. You know, several months ago, in the beginning of January, we started this series called Together. And what we did was we kind of divided the church up, not because we wanted to keep people separate, but we wanted to build teams in the church, kind of like the Levite teams. Back in the old Jewish days, there was Levites, and they were set aside. They didn't even receive any property. They were set aside to do the work of the Lord, setting up the tabernacle, doing the things that they would do in the synagogues. They were actually a group of people that honored their lives with the Lord and didn't really get the normal things that the other 12 tribes did. We, on, on, on the beginning of this year in 2017, we started to do some Levite work. We created a team over here, and we have some cards, and it's called Team Salvation. Some of you have them on your lips. And Team Salvation, thanks, Rachel, excited about that. <laughs> team Salvation is to be interceding, especially during Passion Week, so that people might receive a new life or have a better salvation experience, a, a revelation from God. This is team revelation, and you have a card there, and on the back it shows you what to pray for, that God would reveal himself and speak to you personally, and that you can wash away all your doubts and all your problems because he reveals himself and says, I'm here and want to speak to you. And here's my favorite one. This is team transformation over here. Now, the reason why, it's not that I don't like either of you, this group, well, a couple of people I don't like over here, but I like... For me, the reason why I like transformation is God has transformed my life. One of the greatest miracles that I've seen, and I'm sure my family has seen, is where I used to be. Where I used to be and where I've become because of the transformation of God. 
Or he takes a person that has no business standing up in front of people speaking about the gospel and then allowing the gospel to ring true so that new people experience that and have a revelation and a transformation and a beautiful salvation to show the world in Jesus Christ. Amen? I was so unemotional and uninvolved in the first service, so you guys are in trouble this service, so... We are doing this series called The King and His Kingdom. We have a king in this world, and he has an unbelievable kingdom, a powerful kingdom that takes us out of darkness and brings us into the light and into the warmth of who he is. In this kingdom, if you experience him, your life gets changed and, and, and transformed, and you experience things that you've never had before. I know that because that's what's happened to me. Jeremiah, a prophet in the Old Testament, speaks about what this king is going to do and who he is and where he comes from. And here's what he says. For a time is coming, says the Lord, when I will rise up a righteous descendant from King David's line. He will be a king who rules with wisdom. He will do what is just and right throughout the land. Here's the thing. David, the reason why David uh, is, is part of Jesus' line is because even though David was a flawed man, he had a heart for the Lord. When you and I are in a relationship with God, and even when we make mistakes and get angry and frustrated with what God is doing, if you turn and have a heart for him, he builds that and makes that right, and you become better and whole with him. And what the kingdom and the king has for us is wisdom. Our wisdom in this world is flawed. What we believe and what we hear on TV and on radio and internet and stuff is flawed, and what we need to do is turn to wisdom. I've been reading uh, the Proverbs for the last 60 days because I need more wisdom in my life. And the, the wisdom is called a girl. It's a she. It's got this feministic personality because you're to go after it like it's, the, as for men, like the hottest thing in the world. I don't know if I can say that. I don't know, but uh, I don't know. We are just supposed to go after this wisdom as a she and we're to pursue it. Women like to be pursued. And that wisdom that we have in Jesus is to be pursued and put into our heart. And it can't come from man. Man is flawed and it will lead you astray. And God says, take this wisdom and make it yours. Because he is just and right and he does right things even when you don't see it. A lot of things that we struggle with is God's righteousness and we just don't understand it. So what we've learned over the last six or seven weeks as we've talked about the king in this kingdom is this. We've learned about uh, being spiritually blind, mature Christians and non-believers being spiritually blind, not being able to see what God is trying to tell us, being blind to the things of this world because we let people in our lives and things and events happen for us not to be able to see what God is doing. The other thing we learned over the last couple weeks is that we are dual citizens. We are to seek first the kingdom of God, and then we are to put all the other things underneath that. I pledge allegiance to the flag or to the Lord. We are to pledge to the Lord, and then everything else under that needs to align in that mindset. And then after that, we talked about the Holy Spirit revealing. Our Holy Spirit is a part of God's plan, and he reveals his truth and wisdom so that we can have a better understanding. We're like a satellite dish pointed into the sky, and we are to go after this information and bring it down and present it to other people. That's what the Holy Spirit does. And then we talked about the CRV, not the California Redemption value, 
but we had a bunch of water bottles and we changed the, the, the CRV to Christ redemption value in their life. And that Sunday we had hundreds of bottles where people came up and took their value and said, Christ is my redemption. And they claimed that. And last week, Jeremy was up here in a little boat. If you guys didn't see it, there was all kinds of stuff on the internet with Jeremy and his little boat. Tucker's amazing. Before the end, we had like six memes going on. <laughs> Jeremy was talking about the proximity. When we are away from God, but we're in church, doesn't mean that we're close to God. Jeremy was talking about coming up on Easter Sunday and kneeling before God and crying out and singing worship songs, but still being far from God. Previously in my old life, before I really found Jesus as my Lord and Savior, I used to go to church, and I'd be there on Sunday. I'd even raise my hands, and I'd have a little tear coming, but I was never connected to God because I never, I never had his word a part of my life, and I never followed him uh, in the way that he wanted me to follow. And that's what God is trying to teach us today. He wants us to look at our conflicts and he wants us to bring light in the dark moments of our life, amen? I wanna start with telling you a little story about this amazing mon uh, monastery. There's this amazing monastery in Europe. It looks just like, it's like this, this monastery. And this monastery is tucked away in the woods. I mean, it's far. It takes about two and a half hours to get there off the main road. And it's only like 15 or 20 miles. It's like, for some of you that know where Lake Nassimieno is, you drive to the 101, takes about an hour and a half, and then to get to Nassimieno, it takes like four hours, right? That little windy 20-mile-an-hour 20 20 drive is terrible. It's the same. This place was amazing, but it was tough to get to. And if you chose to go to this monastery, it was like a detour. You're going to lose a whole day. This place was beautiful. It was scenic. And the monks there were known for just great healing and spiritual peace because the place was pristine and it was truly radiant with God's love. Well, here's what happened over time. Conflict came within the group. The, the monks started having issues and squabbles amongst each other. There started to be issues with who was going to clean what and do what. And all of a sudden, jealousy, anger, and hatred and unforgiveness came. And what happened is, over time in this monastery, people stopped coming because they're like, I don't want to go to this place because I can feel the tension. Anybody feel the tension in their life sometimes? Sometimes at the dinner table, it's tough. And there's tension, and people stop coming. They're like, I don't want to go because these guys are making me uncomfortable. Now, the guy that's in charge of the monastery, he's, he's called the abbot. He's the head monk, and he's in charge of the grounds. The abbot is destroyed. He's like, why is this happening to this amazing place? What's going on? And so what he does is he drives out of town and meets his friend, and he comes to this rabbi named Jeremiah. And he says, I need to understand something. He goes, why are we struggling up here in this beautiful monastery? And so he pours out his soul and tells all of the issues that are going on in this monastery. And what happened was the rabbi, after hearing everything, says, can I speak into your life and tell you the vision that I had? A couple weeks ago, I had this vision. I had no idea what it meant. But now I realize why I had this vision. This vision was I had this dream of this mountain-esque place where there was a group of men that were serving God, and amongst them was the Messiah. And the abbot says, what does that mean? He goes, that's for you. You need to understand that amongst you, up in this great place, the Messiah is within you. And the abbot said, what? Are you kidding? And he started thinking, it's not me. I wonder which one of those monks in this place is the Messiah. So he rushes back. He brings them all to a meeting. And he says, the Messiah is amongst us. And all of them started looking and saying, is it you? Is it you? Is it you? 
Is it you? And all of a sudden, because there was a, a great revival in their hearts about wondering who was the Messiah, the attitude of the whole place changed. Within weeks, they started to see grace and mercy and unforgiveness walk away and God's holiness come back and people started to experience the revival and all throughout the region, everybody said, let's go back to this monastery or let's go to this monastery because the Messiah is amongst them and great healing start to occur. When we put the Messiah and the light of Jesus in our conflict, when you realize that he is amongst you, Great things can happen, and that's what we see in this story about the monks in the monastery. Today, we're going to talk about conflict. In this world, there is great conflict. We have great conflict in a hundred different ways. There's this spiritual realm that's out there that is clashing between good and evil, and we need to understand that so that we go into this world. When we go into this world, we can battle it and, and understand it and actually be victorious. There's this battle between what we call good and evil. And here's some of the conflicts that we have in this world. First and foremost, probably the number one conflict is just between man and woman, right? I, I do a lot of marriage counseling, and I have the opportunity, especially to the young couples, 25 and under, when they're like, I've met Mr. or Mrs. Wright, and they're so awesome, and we're so alike. It's amazing how alike we are. We just know everything about each other. And in my head, I'm like, you don't know anything about each other. Six months, the lingerie is going to go to sweats. <laughs> and they're going to have a side of the bed that you're not to cross. I don't know. Maybe that's personal stuff. But we don't understand. But men and women are built differently. And, and they're supposed to be. And they're supposed to be both magnified. And it's okay. But there is conflict with these two genders. And we need to understand that. And when we do understand it, the relationship that we can have with men and women can be beautiful if we bring Christ in the middle of it. Here's another conflict, uh, the conflict of uh, government and people, right? The government is always trying to take money and provision in our country, and then the people are always trying to figure out how to make the government work better. There's another one in our government. We have Democrats, and then we have Republicans, and there's conflict there, and it's tough to make those two work because both people believe they're right, and in most aspects, they both are. They're struggling and fighting for the same resources and trying to figure out what is right and what is wrong. There's other conflicts between rich and poor. The, the poor always want more money, and the rich don't want to give any of their money away, right? That's okay. There's another conflict that we have in this world. There's a bunch of people that love and there's a bunch of people that hate. There's a bunch of haters in this world. And the reason why this church's mission is to love is to make this world a better place because the world is desperate for love and we are to be the offering of God's love to this world. Another conflict that we see is God versus Satan. And that's what we're gonna talk about today, that dark and lightness, that dark and light in this world, God and Satan. And really it's sin versus holiness. Sin is this dark thing that's overtaking our life, and when we put holiness in the middle of our life, we start living closer to the light of what God wants for us. So here we are. We're talking about conflict, and we need to see in this world what conflict really is. What is conflict? If you're really thinking about it correctly, what is conflict? We have conflict. What happens is a lot of times we think about it with people. We think about it as a place. Or things. Listen, my old place I used to live in San Jose, I have conflict with them because they hate my guts. Every time I go up there, it seems like the cops want to pull me over. But that was my past. Let it go, cops. We have conflicts with things. The car doesn't work. 
right? It doesn't start or, you know, my computer's not working. I've got viruses. We have conflict with things and we have conflict with people. People are, are, are bring a lot of conflict in our life. And if we put on the eyes of Jesus in our heart, we see people differently. But the truth is we think conflict is about people, places, and things. But God says, listen, it's not about that at all. It's about light and darkness. Today, the image that we're going to use for the message is about light. We're going to use this light over and over to experience what God has for you and how he can put you in the light again, even if you're in a dark moment of your life. We're going, to go to the, we're going to go to John chapter 12 to look at this on Palm Sunday. John chapter 12 is a great place. There's three places of conflict in the book of John. The first conflict that we see is in John chapter 6, verse 66, and that conflict comes uh, when people start walking away from Jesus. Jesus feeds the 5,000 and the women and children, has this great, amazing miracle happen, and then people have conflict with him in what he says. He says, drink my blood and eat my flesh, and you will be close to me. And that moment, thousands of people walk from him. The second conflict comes in chapter 12, which is what we're going to read. And then the third conflict happens at the end of Passover where the leaders of the, sin, or the, leaders of the, the religion take them and put them on the cross. Today's conflict is many people don't believe even though Jesus just raised a man from the dead. He's just done the greatest miracle that anyone has ever seen. And even though people are calling him Hosanna, people are still turning their backs and saying, I don't believe in who he is. And they're refusing to see the light of Jesus in a dark world. So today, if you're able to stand, we're going to stand and we're going to read from John chapter 12. And we're going to use this as a launching pad. If you haven't read John chapter 12 recently or if you've never read it, here's what happens. In the beginning of 12, Jesus is anointed with this perfume. And it's like preparing his body for death. It's, it's this burial preparation. And then right after uh, Mary anoints him, he is then in this triumphant entry, which we call Palm Sunday. And after that, he predicts that he is going to die. He tells them all, I'm going to die. And most of them don't understand that. And then we come before Jesus and he starts speaking to us about light. And he says, I'm only going to be here for a little bit. The light is only going to be here a little bit longer. So don't waste it. Take the light and make it part of who you are. And that brings us to uh, John chapter 12, verse 42. So let's read. It says, many people did believe, however, including some of the Jewish leaders, but they wouldn't admit it for fear that the Pharisees would expel them from the synagogue, for they loved human praise more than the praise of God. I want to stop here for a second. It said many people did believe, but a ton of people started to reject him. But the few people that did believe didn't even tell a couple of leaders in the church, Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, he believed, but they didn't want to tell anybody because they were afraid and they were embarrassed and they didn't want to be rejected. Sometimes when fear comes into our life, it brings us into darkness and the light of Jesus brings us to a faithful place where we can understand him and make him more of who we are. Let's continue to read. Verse 44 says, Jesus shouted to the crowds, If you trust me, you are trusting not only me, but God who sent me. For when you see me, you are seeing the one who sent me. And so he's crying out, if you believe in who I am, you are believing in God. If you don't, you're rejecting God. He says, I have come to you as a light to shine into this dark world so that all who put their trust in me will no longer remain in darkness. He comes and brings this imagery of light and darkness and the conflict. 
And then he says at the end, he says, I will not judge those who hear me, but don't obey me, for I have come to save the world and not judge it. At this moment, what I want to do is I just want to pray. I want to pray in this section right here. You guys are praying that God is going to start revealing himself and speaking to us personally so that we can have that revelation. You're going to pray God's transformation. We're going to pray for salvation. And at the end, we're going to celebrate what God is doing. So let's pray. Father in heaven, we come before you and thank you for who you are and what you are and what you're doing here today. We lift these words to you, ask that you speak boldly into our light, that you reveal darkness and that your light shines and magnifies us. Lord, we offer ourselves to you on this Palm Sunday. Speak boldly in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen. Go ahead and be seated. So there's an important verse here at the end. Jesus says, I'm bringing light into the dark world. I'm going to bring light. And if he shines the light on you, most of the people in this world say, when Jesus' light shines on me, it's like an interrogation. Anybody been interrogated here before? I have. Uh, a couple of people pointing out here. Where have you been? <laughs> what happens is we believe that God is interrogating us, and Jesus says, listen, I didn't come to interrogate anybody. What did it say? It says that he came to save the world, not to judge the world. The judging part of God's plan is in God's hands. And one day, all of us are going to go before God, believing him or not believing him, and that's where the judgment lies. Now, if you put Jesus in the God, God's over here, and he's looking down and he's judging the world. If you put man over here, and I'm a sinner, without Jesus, I get direct judgment from God. That's what Jesus is saying. But when Jesus comes in the middle, he intercedes and stops the judgment and says, this child is mine, you don't need to judge him, I have paid their penalty. And because of that, you are saved. <laughs> the beauty of this is that's how God works. Jesus came only to intercede for man and save mankind. Not to judge it with a light saying, what did you do last night? And why did you do that? He came to magnify God's heart with his offering to you and me. So that the light of the world will become part of who we are. To fix our conflict... We need to take the light and we need to put it on ourselves and watch the darkness subside. The light of the fire is to burn off all the darkness, all the dross, all the things that God doesn't want to do. If I'm out there looking at you and judging you, I'm actually missing out and living in the darkness. But if I'm focusing on myself, I'm living in the light because all I'm trying to do is get better and closer to God and be right with him because I don't want to be in a place of judgment I want to be in the light and letting him bring the heat and magnify and refine my heart for him. Hope that makes sense to you today. What is conflict? Why do we have conflict? Well, the conflict comes because there's a conflict in this world. There's a battle between good and evil, and it goes far deeper than what our mind can imagine. We want to make it simple. It's about the people. It's about my job. Oh, my boss is an idiot. If your boss is in here, I was just kidding, but if you're... Yeah. It's my wife or my husband or it's my kids. All of these things, we think that's our battle. And the truth is, God says, no, it goes farther back than that. The conflict that we have is very deep, and it goes farther back, greater than my high school days where there was a lot of conflict. 
It goes even more in my preschool days and even in the womb of my mother. It goes back to the beginning of time. That's where conflict happens. If you look at Genesis, if you open up your Bible, in the beginning of the Bible, we have this place. It's called Genesis, and it starts to talk about uh, how God created the world. Now, listen, there's only two chapters on how God created the world. One chapter tells them how he creates, and then the second chapter, chapter two, tells another story of how he created. It's the same story. But he only put a chapter in because most of you would go for, for years upon trying to figure out how God created. And God says, listen, just believe I created. He said, I spoke into existence. I have a God that speaks into existence. Heaven and earth, stars and universe. He breathes and things start to evolve. That's who I have in God. And then conflict comes and see if you Bible scholars can see the conflict. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 3, listen to the conflict here. Here's what he says. He says, God said, let there be light. And there was light in this world. Let there be light. And the light came in the world. But listen, here comes the conflict. He said this, God saw that light was good and he separated light from darkness. In that moment, there's conflict in the world. Because light was good, and the definition of darkness is the absence of light, which probably means it wasn't good. So we have to see there's conflict from the beginning of time because light is separated from darkness. And then he says, I'm going to call one day, and I'm going to call one night. And that's where we see conflict start in the beginning. They knew what they were doing because the plan was that at some point, the light of the world was going to come between us. And he was going to sit in this middle row interceding for mankind, letting those that believe get judgment passed and those that disbelieve go into hell. And I know that's tough, but that's what God's plan was from the beginning. That's what we see conflict. In Ephesians, the apostle Paul knew this conflict and he says, listen, we are not battling flesh and blood. We are not battling against flesh and blood uh, we are battling against evil rulers, authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits that come from the heavenly reigns. If you want to see the evil spirit getting cast down, open up your Bible this afternoon and look at uh, Isaiah 14. And in there, you will see the morning star get cast down and its heavenly angels that become evil spirits. We are fighting a battle that most of us can't even see. Because it's a spiritual battle. It's not against flesh and blood. But most of us make our conflict and our battle about others and about things and about places. And God says, I need to put light on that so that you can see what I'm trying to teach you. So now we are at 30 minutes into the message. Now we need to go back to Jesus' beginning because now you need to understand what Jesus was supposed to do to this world. He came into this world to be the light for you and me. The first thing that he did in Matthew chapter 4 was talk about the light and darkness because that's what he came to do. He didn't, came to, he didn't come to judge. He came to bring light into your relationship with him and God. And that's what he wants to do. And here's what we see. In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus has just come from Mount Temptation. And it's this mountain in Jericho. You can see this Temptation Mountain. It's pretty amazing. I've got a really cool picture of it. But Jesus came into Mount Temptation. And he comes in. And his first thing from ministry is about him preaching about this light and darkness. And he quotes this verse in Isaiah. And this verse is from Isaiah 9 
verses one and two, and here's what it says. Nevertheless, the time of darkness and despair will go on forever, will not go on forever. The land of Zebulun and Naphtali will be humbled, and there will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies along the road that runs between the Jordan and the sea, will be filled with glory. So here, Jesus is communicating about this prophetic verse in Isaiah, and now he's saying, it here's the mission, and this mission is me. Here's what he says. Isaiah writes, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in the land of deep darkness, a light will shine. And Jesus is quoting this. Is this working? Jesus will quote this, and he's starting to show. Oh, that'll give somebody a seizure. <laughs> Jesus will quote this, and he's saying, I'm the light into this world. I'm the prophecy that Isaiah was writing about. I'm the one that's going to bring light into this world and bring life into that. And so Jesus says in the beginning of his ministry, realize this, folks, that in the beginning of time there was light and dark and God created, and now I am the light that's come into the world as flesh and blood so that the world can see light and understand light and use light in their lives day in and day out. That's what God wants us to understand. And at the end of Matthew chapter uh, four, uh, 17, he says this. He goes, John the Baptist, his cousin, has now been arrested, and Jesus takes the mantle of John's ministry. John's ministry was about turning people to God and repenting of sins, and here's what he says. Jesus began to preach, repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. I am the light of the world, and I am bringing the kingdom of heaven to you. Those that understand that will have an eternal life that's filled with God's glory. Those that reject it, are going to sit back and miss out on all God's glory. And the world becomes their greatest joy. This world becomes the greatest joy for those that don't believe. For those that do believe, we have a future joy, and that's in heaven. So what Jesus is telling us is that we all have conflict. We have conflict in marriage. We have conflict in finances, jobs, relationships, spiritual conflict. We had conflict out in the parking lot with someone here. Typical journey morning with the 9-11 or 9-1-1 called and the ambulance. And we have conflict everywhere. But Jesus says, let me shine the light in your life and your conflict will change because the Messiah will be amongst you. In John chapter 1, verses 5, here's what he says. The light shines in darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. As a man, I can turn this light off. Because it was bought. But the light that Jesus brings into the world, it cannot be extinguished. It cannot be put away. It cannot be something that man can destroy. Only God can put the light out. And he says, I made the light. I want the light. I want you out of darkness. So it can't be extinguished. The light of the world can never be extinguished. And that's what Jesus wants to do. He wants the light of fire in you and allow your life to be a glorious offering to the Father by the way that you live your life. Amen? Amen. So what is our application today? We're, we're now at you know the close of the message. We got five or 10 minutes. Most of the people are deciding how much are we gonna sing or what am I gonna order at Toppers, right? How much food am I gonna eat or how much am I not gonna eat? And now we have to look at this story of application and understand the theology of light and darkness so that we can walk out of here. We all have conflict, amen? We all struggle with things, and you have to realize that what you're struggling is, a, is from an outside force. 
Yeah, maybe your wife or your husband was a grouch today. Just get them some coffee. Step away from them for a little while and let God's light come in. But really, what we're dealing with is struggles. Things in this world that are struggling. Uh, between first service and the second service, I've lost my phone somewhere. So that's how life is. What am I going to do? But that's the conflict. And there's nothing I can do but trust in God. And hopefully somebody's going to turn it back in. Anybody? <laughs> Here's the application today. The Apostle Paul writes to the church in Galatians. And he says, listen, you church in Galatians, there's, there's issues here. And you need to understand it. You need to live in the spirit. You need to live in the light. You need to live in the great light and let the Holy Spirit guide you through things in your life. And when you do that, your flesh and yourself will die and the light of Jesus will reign whole. Here's what it says. It says, so I say, walk by the spirit, the apostle Paul writes. You will not gratify the desires of the flesh when you walk by the spirit. For flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to flesh. They are in conflict with each other. Your flesh wants to do one thing, and it wants to complain about people, places, and things, but the spirit wants you to look at Jesus through all of your issues and see God's glory. These two, evil, these two forces are in conflict. They're battling good and evil, light and darkness, and they're in conflict. And the apostle Paul writes, they are in conflict now, with each other so that you do so that you are not to do whatever you want. When you're in the spirit of God, there's things that you shouldn't do. When you're in a fleshly relationship with the world, you choose to do whatever you want. And and and, and the Holy Spirit says, I don't want you to do that. He says at the end, he says, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. This law that has been given, that was given from God to Moses, man has turned into a dark law. And it's actually things that people are trying to follow instead of a relationship with God that people are trying to honor and enjoy, uh, honor and experience God for who he is. So our application is we bring light into our conflict. We believe that the Messiah is amongst us. We put him in the middle of our conflict and say, Jesus is alive. He is the light of the world. This dark thing that's happening in my life, if I let it rest and set upon my heart and soul and in my situation, God will reveal himself and he will bring me to utter great truth. And that truth is not by my own knowledge. Every time I follow myself and my knowledge, I get myself fired or locked up. That's my history. Some of you have that as well. But the day that I turned away from my own knowledge... And I started reading the Bible. And trust me, I didn't understand it. I didn't get it. A lot of it, I'm like, this is ridiculous. Until I started to realize that the more that I put inside of me, the more it makes more sense. Because I'm, when it's ridiculous, it's because the darkness is so deep inside me that I can't let it soak in. But when I start reading it and believing it and following it, I become a believer, I become a follower, and I become a disciple. And other people see the light in me. And that's what he wants to do. He wants you to bring light. I want to close with this story about this lady. One of my favorite stories in the Bible. It's a lady named Esther. Beautiful woman, beautiful story. And I, I, I don't know if you've read this book or not, and I'm sure some people have. I'm sure some people haven't. And I'm just going to give you a small version about Esther because Esther is an amazing woman. Here's what happens. Esther marries Xerxes. Xerxes was a Persian king that had 127 providences that he was in charge of. 
And without killing the story and kind of uh, making it my own, you should read it. But here's what happens. Esther is in conflict. There was a decree that all Jewish people would be killed in the 127 provinces from King Xerxes. He wrote out this decree. And there was conflict because Esther was a Jewish woman. And she had an uncle, Mordecai. And Mordecai was telling her, listen, Esther, you're here for a specific reason. I just want to read this portion of the, of the story of Esther, chapter 4, verse 13 and 14. It's a great book. I challenge you to read it. It's only five or six chapters. I think you'll really enjoy it. But here's what Mordecai writes. He's writing a letter, and he says this. Don't think for a moment that because you're in the palace that you will escape when all other Jews are killed. He's writing this letter and saying, Esther, if you don't do something, don't think that you're going to escape your death because you're a Jew and you will die. He says, if you keep quiet like a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place, but your relatives and everybody that's a Jew right now will die, but there will be a deliverer another time. And this is the most beautiful part about this whole book. And, and this is what we need to take away from this. It says, who knows if perhaps you were made queen for such a time like this. And here's what I want to challenge you today. Think about your greatest conflict. Think about the thing that you're struggling with God or with another person, an ailment. Think about your greatest conflict right now. And think about this, that you were made specifically to go through this conflict with the light of Jesus in the middle of it. Think about your life being an offering to this world and this conflict that might be the biggest thing in your life is made for you to walk through and be a testimony to Jesus Christ and to this world. Do you believe that today? Take your conflict and let that conflict be a testimony to the world. Don't let it cripple you. It, the Bible says in Proverbs, it says, a, a, a Christian stands up seven times, but the wicked get one trial and they fall instantly. But a Christian stands up. We rise up and we stand up and we take conflicts and we say, let Jesus reign because this conflict's not going to kill me. I'm going to let Christ live in me and allow the light live in me. Here's a couple of quotes. It says, a light shines brightest in dark. If you've ever been camping before and you've seen a fire in, the, in, the, in, in the, a mile or two away, you can see it and you're fixated on it. Because in the dark moment, when that light is shining, you're drawn to that because there's healing and there's, there's rescue and there's hope in that light. Here's what my brother, uh, Jeff Barnett, not my physical brother, my brother from another mother. Yesterday, as we were setting up the church, he gave me this verse. He says, a light shines brightest near his home. For me, that makes a lot of sense. Because there was a moment in my life when I was the darkest person in my house. I was the darkest, evil person in my house doing, doing things that I shouldn't be doing. And I made a decision once I started to follow Jesus to be a light that shines bright in my home. And that doesn't mean I'm perfect. Trust me, I got kids here shaking their head. You're not perfect. But what it means is that I can come to them and ask for forgiveness. Ask my wife and my parents and my friends forgiveness when I make a mistake. That's the light of Jesus because the Messiah is amongst us. Let us not be trying to please man with all of our desires. Let us please God with his will and his wants. Amen? Let's close our eyes. Let's let the light of Jesus start to minister to us. And let us ask God to connect us to him once and for all. 
The Bible tells us that if we confess with our mouths and believe in our heart that we are saved, we can become followers and believers of Jesus. Today, I want to offer that to you, a relationship with God the Father. Maybe you are angry at him. Maybe you've never talked to him, or maybe you just want to reconnect. If that's you today, will you repeat this prayer? Father, come into my life. Shine your bright light in my heart. I believe and I want to know more about you. I believe that you died and you rose again even though I might not understand it. Father, come into my heart. I accept your son as my savior. Shine that light upon me and have the Holy Spirit lead me in my life from this day forward. For those of us that have greater conflict, I pray that God will move in our conflict, that he will shine a great light, and that the hope and peace of God will reign forever and always.